United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show. I am Dean Linky, and happy Thanksgiving to each and every one of you. What a great show we have. 30 years ago, Paul Caligiuri scored the goal to put the USA in the World Cup for the first time in 40 years. He kicks off the show. After him, Eric Bell, the top man for TCU women. They are 8-1 in the Big 12. Outstanding job. Maddie Gates, a member of our 30 Under 30. She played at BYU. She is now coaching there as well as coaching youth, doing an incredible job. And we end with another Big 10 and 10. Northwestern women's soccer, David Nikolic, longtime associate coach, Marissa Vigiano, Hannah Davison, and Kayla Sharples. That's a great Thanksgiving show, and it starts after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to learn more. Team Snap is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. November 19, 1989, that was the date the shot heard around the world. Paul Caligiuri, that's right, Paul Caligiuri scoring the goal at Trinidad and Tobago to end a 40-year drought and put the USA in the World Cup. And Paul Caligiuri joins me now. Paul, hard to believe we're right around 30 years. So much to be thankful for. Happy Thanksgiving, and by the way, thank you for making that goal against Trinidad and Tobago, by the way. Well, thank you, Dean, and um, well, thanks to everyone that has this uh, soccer spirit, uh, despite all the challenges we've been facing this year. We've got a lot to reflect back on, and I think that the dedication and inspiration that still exists and even gets stronger out there, we have a lot to reflect back on and how grateful we are. The leagues that you know are resilient to find ways to keep entertaining us you know, Major League Soccer to the rest of the big leagues around the, the world. And of course, you know, for me personally, as you mentioned, it's been 30 years and I like to reflect back and think about all my teammates and the things we did during those times to get us to where we're at and really help uh, boost soccer in this country. Have fun with me. Try to reflect on what you remember about that ball bouncing, you pouncing on it, you hitting it. Did you think it was going to go in? your reaction afterwards, share as much as you can about that special moment, please. Well, it's it's interesting that I, I have you asking that question because you're the person that's all, all but, you know, going on the field and playing for the team because uh, you realize how much character and, and uh, relates to the culture of a team. And you're very much part of our team, you know, during those ages and during those time periods and the late 80s, 90s, and beyond. And, um, you know, I think that you, you could kind of relate that it's like Caligiuri going forward and my teammates are thinking, well, what are you going to do now? <laughs> and I think that, that that ball bounced perfectly nice to hit it hard as I can because if it goes in your, you know, they love you. If it gets close to going in, then it's good try, you know, and nothing bad happens. So 
certainly I didn't want to lose the ball. Um, I, I knew that the, the guys were uh, looking at it as an unexpected thing that I typically uh, would not do. And um, I, maybe, the, maybe the opponents thought the same, that this guy doesn't really attack very often or if at all. And if he does take a touch forward, pressure him. And that's what happened. The, I believe the defender overly committed. So as I did take that touch, that bouncing touch, you know, kind of midsection, you know, the chest, stomach, and push it forward, it kept bouncing. And by the time I looked up, the guy was rushing me. And um, now it became instinctive. You only had one thing to do is you don't want to lose it, remember? I don't want to blow up for my guys. And um, I beat the guy pretty easily. Um, not because it was some massive skill. It was because he overcommitted. And then, of course, from that, it was instinctive. And that ball was bouncing nicely. And I, I knew I could strike it from that range um, with either right or left foot. And I didn't hesitate. And I, you know, at that time and moment, you know, you, all your energy and focus is going on to the moment. And it's not like a sometimes not too conscious of a moment because it happens so quickly. And, um, for the United States, it was a beautiful moment. And, you know, the way we came out in the second half and played was remarkable. And it's amazing to see all the steps and growth we've had since this that one moment. I'm glad you mentioned the word remarkable. I want to stay with this game one more time because you're in that sea of red and the drums are beaten for Trinidad and Tobago. And they went on to celebrate anyway. And the way I remember it is they also kind of saluted the USA because it was so festive and everything else. But... What do you remember about just hanging on to the end to, to get that result and knowing that it's going to mean a trip to Italy? You know, for me personally, I think I, I remain focused thinking that it may go longer than 90 minutes, meaning not necessarily a tie, but um, you never know. You're playing away and how long is the added time going to be? And, you know, just keep focus all the way to the end. And I, I feel and I believe that my teammates felt the same way. Certainly Miola making some big time stops in the second half and, you know, the way, you know, John Harks played and Tab Ramos held the ball and Bruce Murray up top and Peter Vermes. I mean, all the guys were kind of uh, zeroed in on, on one thing and that's being consistent. And I believe that coach Bob Ganser taught us that, how to be consistent throughout a, a game. And, um, you know, we're, we were prepared. Mentally, we were prepared to, to carry that game through to where we wouldn't get scored on. But it definitely took big-time performance by some big-time players, that's for sure. You mentioned all those big-time players, Paul. One thing I always admired about you is you always appreciated those around you. You're always grateful for those people around you. You said all those names. They're all doing great things in soccer and even names afterwards that joined you in 94 where you were a key part of the incredible run in 94. I mean, you were a starter on that team as well when you reflect on all the great things that all those teammates are still doing in today's game and all the great things you're doing in today's game how does that make you feel especially during this special thanksgiving edition you know that's such a a, a beautiful question you know because how does it make you feel it's it's endless and it's um something i'm very blessed to have in my life to always reflect on the greatness that it went into um great moments from happening but more so that you know i'm part of the soccer ecosystem for my life and you know i get to see more great moments from here on out and um it makes me feel really proud of not only the u.s soccer and the players that took place and all the people that was orchestrated and helped um 
that moment in the World Cup happening in 1990 where it solidified our bid for 1994 World Cup, but more importantly for all those other people that put a lot of time and effort and um, not many people know, I was part of that 1985 team. Um, I was, it was one of my first starts playing against Trinidad and Tobago in the World Cup qualifying. And nevertheless, uh, we beat them 1-0. And I scored a header on that same goalkeeper, which eliminated Trinidad. So, you know, four years almost to that date, we're facing Trinidad and they're on the verge. And I think it's fair to say that everyone believed that they were going to go to the World Cup. Um, certainly, you remember in the streets there, to the houses painted, to the cars painted, to the sea of red, a national holiday. I mean, they definitely believed it. And, you know, not the, the players that took the field that day and everyone that contributed and even players that didn't make that trip. And, you know, when you ask how I feel, certainly I feel so blessed and fortunate, but more importantly, I, I reflect back on not just the moment of that day and the people it took. And, and from that point on how we built this game, but also the ones that, you know, contributed before that. And, um, you know, there's a lot of effort and there's a lot of history behind this sport. And um, I think it's fair to say that we put a permanent fixture for the sport in this country. Um, you know, certainly that was a big turning point. And here we are with um, taking the world's greatest sport and our efforts to make it a preeminent sport in this country. Well, I like that you're already pushing forward, talking about the great success of MLS and even NWSL and the other teams. But I still want to go back. I, I have to tell you, both my kids were pretty good athletes. They played basketball. And anytime I saw a number 20, anytime to this day I see a number 20, I still think about you. The point of this, Paul, is I'm hoping that I doubt you do because you become a very humble person. But I want your kids to know and I want everybody that you coach to know that you scored that goal, darn it. I want them to know that you scored it, that you're a Hall of Famer, that you put us in the World Cup and that you started that 94 World Cup. Are we allowed to still talk about that, or do we have to move on? Because I want them all to know that you did that, Paul Calagiri. Well, it's awfully kind. We know it's a team sport, and it's not necessarily the humble side of me. It's probably the coaching side and, and, and whatever. But, you know, certainly you, you mentioned a lot of kids, and I think that they just need to really enjoy and feel the game and be passionate. You know, I, I sit here talking to you, Dean, and, you know, at my age I still have – you know, a, 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 a kind of a soccer cave office that I could go play wall ball or play in the hallway soccer and sneak it in and not get in trouble. And I think that that passion lives uh, amongst us all and we really enjoy the game and there's going to be greater moments. But certainly that's a turning point in not just American history, not just U.S. soccer history. It really kind of invited the world and invited us with the world. And we became a partner in this global sport forever and it's led to a lot of great things, you know, not just the launch and development of Major League Soccer, the NWSL and, you know, USL and all these other leagues. Um, you know, even the, the amateur sector with the United Premier Soccer League, where they've added 400 plus teams and 35 states to the soccer ecosystem. And now with a vision and uh, ambition and uh, strong efforts to get the women's division going. So this growth of soccer is immense and it continues to grow. We have a lot more work to do. And it, it seems like this was the final frontier is the United States. And, you know, back in 1989, November 19th, you know, the world invited us in their arms and uh, we joined this global game for forever. And here we are on the verge of hosting another world cup in 2026. 
campaigning in the bid for the women's 2027 World Cup. And of course, the Olympics in 2028 come into Los Angeles. So, you know, that's not too far off off um, in years. And, you know, it's just amazing to think where we're at now and, that, you know, to think where we may go. But certainly, I think, you know, on the men's side, they want to win a World Cup. You know, we want to produce the Messi's and Cristiano Ronaldo of the world. Um, and we see that coming this this weekend. We get to see Christian Pulisic play uh, Chelsea versus uh, Tottenham, and uh, that's one of our own. And uh, maybe he's the next big hero. Whatever the great Paul Caligiuri scored that goal November 19, 1989, to put the USA in the World Cup for the first time in 40 years. I want to get to what you're doing at Orange County, but before I do that, you decided to throw your hat in for the last presidential run for U.S. soccer. Why did you do that? Any regrets? Uh, what's your takeaway? Oh, you don't want to live with regrets. I mean, you, you do things and you commit. And, you know, at, at some stage or another, what I can say is, you know, I, I saw a, a different uh, vision and um, then the vision that was at stake, but I was able to voice some things that were important and, you know, certainly it's interesting that a short two years after that campaign that a lot of those initiatives are happening and, you know, there's growth and development. And um, I couldn't be happier for Carlos Cadero, who won the election of that day. It was exciting. And then, of course, you know, now Cindy Cone Parlo is in charge. So, you know, U.S. soccer is um, passionate and driven, too. I mean, I grew with U.S. soccer. We were in the red. I mean, we're $250,000 in the red. And um, Warner Fricker had loaned some money from his own private construction company to allow the men's national team to train and prepare for that game on November 19th, 1989. And um, that, um, you know, gratitude, I mean, amazing that someone would do that. But he obviously loved the game. And, you know, I'm close to his son, Warner Fricker Jr. And, um, you know, that without that generosity, that moment would have never happened. So there's a lot of people co that contribute to the game and um, certainly that exists now. And it, it, it's, I see that from internal and I know these people as friends of mine and, and uh, believers of the game. And it's a selfless job because, you know, you're not compensated, you're taking your time, but the dedication and passion that goes not just on the US soccer board of directors, but the athletes council and all these other councils. And of course, state associations, we're all in it together. And, you know, that may sound like a cliche, but soccer is the one thing that brings this world together. And that's probably what I'm most grateful for. I listen to a lot of genres of music and, you know, I've studied different types of um, re re religions and such. You know, I'm a Christian and I'm proud to say that and a believer, but nothing really brings us together like soccer. And we see this in this country now and with the, the rise and in interests of women's soccer, not just on the professional level, because we know it exists in the youth and, of course, in the college level, but also on the semi-professional level. And, you know, it's it's uh, it's really coming together quite nicely. And like I mentioned previously, I know you mentioned, you asked the question about running for U.S. Soccer Federation president. It, it allowed me to reconnect with people. You know, United Soccer Coaches Association was wonderful. I, I really enjoyed speaking at their function and connecting with people that had a lot of different ideas and opinions and um, growth and and we are different from state to state and there's a lot that i learned so i'm very grateful that i had that opportunity to run for u.s soccer federation president in 2018. 
So tell us what you're doing now in Orange County. Tell us exactly what you're doing right now, Cal. Right now, um, obviously, there, there's a lot of challenges in California with the COVID restrictions. It hasn't allowed us to get back on the field, but there's other growth that could be done. And I actually joined the um, United Premier Soccer League, the UPSL, to help them you know, plan and structure and grow the women's division. And um, with a platform of 400 plus teams, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to be able to go to those clubs. But I also understand in these 35 states that we primarily have our teams in, um, their challenges. So um, it's been a great period of time, you know, in terms of right now what I'm doing, because I've been able to connect with the different landscapes of soccer throughout the United States. In terms of you know, the Orange County Football Club, those guys are chomping out the bit. They want to get back on the field. Um, unfortunately, there's challenges and, you know, we're hopeful that this is going to happen soon. And, um, you know, we're all, we're all planning for these holidays and through the holidays, we could all reflect on not what we don't have, but what we do have. And certainly we're going to come out of this stronger and better. And I believe in the soccer spirit out there and it's going to live on. And, you know, hopefully by 2021, everyone's back on the field being happy. Almost to a week, 30 years ago to the date, November 19, 1989, Paul Calagiri scored this amazing goal. This is our Thanksgiving edition. I like you, Cal. I'm thankful for my family, but I'm especially thankful every time, as I already said, I see number 20. As you sit there right now with Thanksgiving Day today when this show was released, what is Paul Calagiri thankful for? I think the same thing I was thankful for um, when I got back to the hotel. And, you know, after the game, in Trinidad, um, it took a while for us to get back to the hotel. And obviously the celebration immediately that happened, I, from guys jumping in their full clothes into the pool and, you know, reporters are in just excitement around. Um, I actually kind of stepped away and um, I was thank, thank, thanking God for, you know, this um, wonderful moment that we shared. And, you know, I, I, I still feel fortunate in that way as well. And, you know, I'm quite thankful for, like I said, to be, not only part of the game in the past, but to continue to build the game from, you know, behind the scenes and, and be part of this because uh, there's so much joy, you know, just helping a little kid, maybe five, six years old, to learn to trap the ball uh, with the bottom of their foot softly and to watching MLS games to obviously, the, you know, the high level games and internationally. So there's a lot to be grateful for, Dean. And most importantly, I am grateful for my family my friends, and of course, the soccer friends that I met along the way. And um, I wish I could have spent more time with them all because there's so many memories. And certainly this has been a joy, you know, having me as a guest on your show, Dean. So I appreciate that as well. well we appreciate you. We had to reflect 30 years ago. Paul Calagiri, number 20. Like I said, I can't see a number 20 even on a basketball jersey without thinking of the great Paul Calagiri. Thanks for kicking off our Thanksgiving edition. Paul Calagiri, wish you and your family nothing but the best. Thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Thank you so much, Dean. And all the best to all the coaches out there. United Soccer Coaches is amazing with the membership and, you know, the minds to be out there. So, you know, be strong, everybody. And uh, we'll be out on the pitch soon and loving this beautiful game. Thanks again, Dean. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving, Paul. Happy Thanksgiving to you as well. Thank you. We thank Paul Caligiri. Up next, Eric Bell has TCU during this break at eight wins and just one tie. They started the season with a tie against Baylor. We'll call that a mulligan. Eric Bell has been the coach since 2011 at TCU. We'll learn more 
about him and the great work that he's doing. Eric Bell, TCU women's soccer coach, after this message. Registration for the 2021 United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention is now open. Even though we won't be together in person, the interactive digital event taking place January 11th through 15th, 2021 will still bring the soccer coaching community together for a week of fantastic presenters, diplomas, network opportunities, and more. To register, visit unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. The game hasn't changed, just the game plan. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap, our special Thanksgiving edition. I want to thank Paul Caligiri who scored that amazing goal almost 30 years ago to put the USA in the World Cup for the first time in 40 years. So great going down memory lane as we're now pleased to be joined by Eric Bell, the top man at TCU. Who just finished up an 8-0-1 season, started the season tying Baylor, then eight straight wins. And that means he essentially won this part of the Big 12 season. Eric Bell joins me now. Eric, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. I remember that goal kind of like it was yesterday, I guess. I'm, I'm pretty old too, so it was an awesome goal. We needed that for sure. <laughs> yeah, Eric, why'd you have to throw the two in there like that and just kill me right off the bat? What's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're getting up there in age, I think, and we can still remember that goal. You know it. Well, I, I'm so glad that you dove right in there because I remember what I was doing. What, what were you doing? How old were you, Eric, when he scored that goal approximately? That was what, 90? It was 89. 89. I was 19. You were 19? Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, they, yeah we're about the same age then. Yeah. All right. 19. You look you look much better than me, Eric. I got to give that <laughs> I appreciate uh, that. Yeah. What an amazing goal though, right? I mean, first time in 40 years and ever since then, short of a, a little hiccup for the men's team, the last go around, it's been pretty amazing time to be involved in soccer, right? For sure. Um, I, I think that goal definitely propelled uh, U.S. soccer to a different stage and happy to be a part of it. All right, well, let's get to know your story. Uh, I've been getting lucky. And of course, Eric, if you listen to my show, somehow I try to make it about myself. So I'm going to sure. do that. I'm from Ohio. You're from yeah. Ohio, right? You went yeah. to Worcester. Give me your story. So where did you play youth soccer? Why did you pick Worcester and how did you get into coaching? Oh man, I don't know if you have enough time. Um, but uh, start. I didn't start off. I played the traditional sports growing up. You know, football, basketball, baseball. And um, in middle school, I wrestled. And I was. I'm a late bloomer. So get this. I was in the eighth grade, and I wrestled what at the 95 pound weight class. Right. And uh, going into high school, I played all the traditional sports. And then, you know, my freshman year, uh, I get to high school and I see all these guys that look like men. And I'm still 95 pounds dripping wet. And I was like, well, <laughs> I'm probably not going to be doing this for too much longer. Um, so all my other buddies were playing soccer. And I decided to go out for the soccer team my freshman year of high school. And actually was probably one of the worst players on the team. And then I worked really hard at it. And by the time I was a senior, I was the best player on the team. And then I was able to go to play at the College of Worcester uh, for four years back in the, the 1900s. And then I got into coaching. I graduated 92 and got into coaching in 97. Okay. What, what did you do during that five-year gap, Eric? Um, I was in sales. Okay. So I still played like at the amateur level, um, but I was in sales. So uh, my first job was uh, I sold copiers. Uh, <laughs> and to this day, it was probably the hardest uh, job that I've ever had in my life. 
and I, and I did it for a year to try to make sure that I, I did my best and and saw it through a, a full calendar year. Um, but I sucked at it. And so <laughs> <laughs> I sucked at it. And uh, but I did learn some things that helped me out for, to this day as far as from a recruiting standpoint. We'll get to that in a little bit later. And then I went on and I worked at Bally's, you know, health clubs and I sold memberships there. And uh, that was a lot easier. And I was pretty good at that. Uh, to, to give you my age as well, I used to sell, after that, I sold long distance for WorldCom. Oh, wow. um, I sold those to, I sold long distance to, or packages to companies. And then my last job before I got into coaching was I sold steel for a company called Ryerson Steel. Um, that was kind of easy. So I have a sales background, which definitely helps me out in the, in the recruiting realm. Oh, that makes sense. All right. And then you get into coaching and I know yeah. part of your coaching touches were with Janet Rayfield, who I've got great yeah. respect for. I've been the voice of the big 10 since uh, their opening day back in 2007. And she's the first woman to be an honor award winner with United soccer coaches. How long were you with Janet and how long were you at Ashland? All right. So when I got out at when in 97, I had an opportunity to go back home to Ohio and work at Ashland university. And I was an assistant coach there um, for both the men and the women. So I don't know if people can kind of get their arms around this, but coaching two teams at the same time is really challenging. Um, we always felt as a staff that we were cheating one team or the other, you know, based what was based on what was going on. So you can imagine a preseason where you typically have two practices a day. We had four as a staff. Um, and then throughout the course of the season, we're having two days because we coach both the men and the women. And so after three years of doing it as an assistant, I got kind of burnt out. And I was like, I, I can't continue to do this. I was also coaching club in Cleveland, which is an hour away. So you have two practices, you travel, drive an hour, practice an hour and a half, drive home an hour. And it was just long, long days. And so I got out of it and said, well, I need to, to find something else. So an opportunity presented itself at Indiana University of Pennsylvania or IUP. And I was a head coach there for the women's team. It's a division two program in, in Indiana, Pennsylvania. I don't know if anybody... Uh, ever been there. It's Jimmy Stewart's uh, hometown. So I did that for a year and then I got married and my wife was, my wife is from Minnesota and um, she was like, well, I'm not going to be moving to the middle of nowhere, uh, Pennsylvania. So you're going to have to move back here to Minnesota. So I did. And fortunately, I don't know how all the stars align, uh, but I was able to get on the staff at the University of Minnesota. And I was an assistant coach there for the 2001 year. Um, and then parlayed that into an opportunity with Janet, her first year at Illinois. Uh, Trisha Tolliver introduced me to, to Janet um, at uh, Region Camp at ODP in, um, in Illinois. So in DeKalb, I don't know if you know anything about Region 2 ODP, but that's where it is for the women. Yep. And I met Janet there. And from two, um, the 2002 season through the 2005 season, so four seasons, I was there as an assistant there with Janet. You know, helping her to lay the foundation for her program there. And then um, my good friend, uh, Mark Corian called me up at Florida State in 2006 to be a part of his staff. So I was there for six seasons. Um, and then this opportunity came in 2012. And I'm the head coach here at TCU. Wow. So Janet Rayfield and Mark Krikorian, as you yeah. know, Eric, Mark Krikorian is still listed every time there's an opening for the U.S. Women's National Team. He's yeah. right at the top of the list. Uh, I just sure. called Florida State in the quarterfinals for the ACC network and they beat North Carolina. In fact, it was three, two, but they beat him soundly. He's the real deal. He is the real deal. Uh, the best in the business for sure. 
And what uh, what did you take out away from both of them, Janet and Mark? What part of the game did you take from Janet? What part of the game did you take from Mark? I know that's a tough question. Yeah. Second to absorb it. Yeah, I think I think from Janet is is, is compassion, right, and how to treat people the proper way. Um, I think that um, you know she didn't uh, cut corners. She always followed the rules, and I always I you know, took great pride in making sure that, you know, we continue to do that here. Um, but that was probably the biggest things that I took from her. From Mark, it was um, detail, right? Uh, this overall commitment to excellence um, and doing all the work that anybody else would do to be, that would be commiserate to being the best. Um, his attention to detail is second to none and he doesn't, you know, leave any stone unturned. Um, and his and his and his motto is um, to seek to understand and then seek and, and then to be understood. And I still rock with those uh, those words to, to this day um, within my program and within my staff. And um, those are the biggest things that I took away from both those programs. Well, Eric, clearly you like Horn Frog Land right there. I'll admit, when you think of TCU, you think of Coach Patterson, you think sure. of football. Sure. But now with you at eight zero and one during this crazy COVID time. That's impressive, man, because those are some good teams. Those are some big-time coaches. When you think about Tom Stone and Ange Kelly, and there's some good coaches that you're taking For care sure. of business there, 8-0-1. You're building something special there, Coach Bell. Yeah, um, it's a, it's been a labor of love. You know, our first season here in 2012 was uh, the first year that we were in the Big 12. So we took the Mountain West uh, group in, into the Big 12, and we you know had some bumps the first couple of years, and uh, it was hard. Um, but through the course of uh, recruiting and um, you know, still establishing ourselves and you know, figuring out a way to win games, we're in a point where we won our first uh, conference tournament or conference championship in the, in the first, it's the first one in the program's history. Um, so uh, it's nice to uh, get to this point, but we're not done. And, uh, but yeah, the, the, the conference is, um, is a heck of a conference and it's very competitive and, you know, mostly the big time conferences, every game is going to be, can be won by either team. And, you know, I have a great staff with uh, Ryan Higginbotham and Tom Saratori uh, helping me out to um, help the kids out to, to prepare them and to put them on the field in ways in, we, in which we can be successful. So I've got one of the best staffs in the, we got the best staff in the country and uh, I'm really happy with where we are. Well, this is our Thanksgiving edition. So a lot to be thankful for, even during unprecedented times. I mean, one of the things we're going to be most thankful for is just to get 2020 over. But you have to be appreciative that the Big 12 stepped up, got nine games in. I think you have to be appreciative of the fact that as backup, I reached out to Tom Stone, who, by the way, was my first ever broadcast partner for the Colorado Rapids back in 1996. And he wow. also gave me your number as well. Uh, and that just shows. And he, he and he wrote a note and said, great guy, by the way. Uh, you've got a lot to be thankful for, even during a, a rough time in our world right now, right? For sure. I mean, we were very grateful for the Big 12 stepping up in our ADs and, and chancellors and presidents getting together to afford us an opportunity to play. And I look at all these other leagues across the country and I feel for them because I don't know what I would be doing, or what I would have been doing from August to November to now as far as not being able to play. And uh, very thankful for the opportunity uh, to have to, to have played. Um, but also I'm very proud of, of our group. Uh, from the time that they stepped on campus until the end of the season, we didn't have one positive test. And that's a testament to the character and the, the culture that we're, that we're trying to, to build. 
and uh, very proud of that as a, as a stat that goes on to with the uh, eight zero and one record. A lot of great stops, as you mentioned. You were in Pennsylvania. You were in Illinois. You were in Ohio. You were in Florida. Now you're in Texas. Your wife's from Minnesota. What does she think about all these moves? I guess she's kind of used to it, but I guess you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's part and parcel for the course. If you marry a, a coach who has uh, aspirations to to coach and the coach at the highest level uh, within our sports, so um, she's rolled with the punches really well. So have our daughters, and uh, you know we're happy to be here in Texas. And uh, this is the longest I've ever been in any spot, and, and, and to go along with that, I don't plan on uh, going anywhere anytime soon. So. We planted some roots here and hope to be here for a long, long time. North Texas is a, is a, is a great place to be. Fort Worth is an awesome city. It's a, the biggest small city in, in, in the country to me. It doesn't feel like it's the 13th largest city in the country, but it is. So um, nice place to be. And the Metroplex, the Metroplex provides us with a lot of things to do. So we're quite pleased living here. Well, that's so well said. That was kind of leading to my next question. You kind of answered it. What does make TCU so special that you've stayed there so long coach well i think it, it provides the best of both worlds from a, a female student athlete perspective right you have the uh, the small intimate uh, challenging academic curriculum that we that we provide and then if you look out my outside my window there's a you know a sixty thousand uh, seat stadium for football um that we also provide so you have this uh big time athletic component where you where the teams are competing at the highest level and then from an academic perspective you're getting some of the most rigorous uh, academia or academics that we can provide to prepare our student athletes for life after sport and that's awesome and I think you can go with the climate the climate is quite nice it's probably going to be in the 60s today here in Fort Worth and it's been in the 70s throughout most of November um, and you know we rarely get snow the, the summers are really warm or you could say hot, but the climate is quite good. And, but we also live in a metropolitan area to where, you know, most of our alumni typically stay here um, and, and, and build careers here within the Dallas Fort Worth area. And, you know, it's a, it's still a growing uh, area, but there's a lot of things to do, a lot of things to do. And a lot of companies here to, that provide opportunities for um, our student athlete, athletes to, to work. We're here with Eric Bell, the top man for the TCU women's soccer team at 8-0-1 to start the season. This is after tying Baylor. They ran off eight straight. So now the spotlight is on you. So when we do restart in the spring, which is going to feel more like the winter for some of the right. conferences and try to build toward a smaller field for the NCAA championship, you're going to have a target on your back now, Coach Bell. I mean, 8-0-1, sure. people are going to notice that. Tell me why your team can handle that. Well, I think one of the things that allowed us to be successful um, this fall is that we have a pretty experienced group. Uh, we only started one freshman, um, and we bring all those those players back in the spring. And uh, I think that also provides us with a, with confidence, knowing that we played a really regular schedule um, and came out with a flying color. So um, experience, the, the biggest thing that I know is that we're talented, and you can't win games if, without having some talent. Um, and now we believe, you know, we have a lot of belief within our group and how we're doing our business. And so um, I, my, my expectation is that we walk into the field with a bit of uh, confidence, uh, knowing that we've accomplished something really cool, but we're not, we're not done and we're, not, uh, we're still hungry to, to, to move forward and win some games leading up into the, uh, 
NCAA tournament. Three more questions for Coach Bell. Obviously, since you've been there since 2011, it's clear that the athletic department likes what you're doing. Can you also speak about to the support from your athletic department, Coach? Yeah, one of the reasons why, you know, um, I decided to come here because there was a commitment not only to our students from an academic perspective, but from an athletic perspective. And, you know, coming from Florida State, you know, I felt as though we had everything we needed to be successful from facilities to support staff to uh, a, a budget that is uh, commiserate for being successful. And we have all those things here um, at TCU. And so uh, when I came here to visit and I saw all the different facilities and I saw the budget and I saw the support staff that we have, I was like, man, this is a no-brainer. Where, where, where do I sign up and how can I get started? So um, I'm really pleased and uh, with what we've done with our program and hopefully we continue to have success and you know, can have an opportunity to compete for, to win national championships as well. Coach, uh, we've been spending a lot of time on this program during, um, we mentioned the terrible pandemic, but uh, just as bad was the social injustice. Here you are, African-American, now getting it done as a top man for almost double-digit years now at TCU. What is your message as we continue to work with Nicole Hercules, who's heading up the Black Coaches Advocacy Group for United Soccer Coaches? We continue to try to make a difference. You know, we've had Shaka Daly on, and we've had Bo on, and we've had multiple Black coaches, both men and women. We want to keep the dialogue going. We want it to be about love and equality and and, and making everything equal and it can't end tomorrow. we got to keep it going, right, Coach? Sure. Yeah, and we have to have, we have to continue to have conversations. Um, and we've had a, a, quite a few within our team throughout the course of the season in the summer um, just to kind of break it down. But I think we all have to continue to edu educate ourselves, whether it be through books, whether it be through the Internet, whether it be through movies and documentaries. Um, there's a lot of different things uh, that we can do to educate ourselves. And there's also opportunities to get involved with certain things and uh, and, and taking advantage of those types of things. So uh, we have a long way to go. Um, but through through the pandemic, I think that uh, unfortunately, but fortunately, a spotlight was shown on the injustices uh, for Black people in our country, and um, you know, hopefully, a lot more people are recognizing that and and think twice about what they say and how they act um, and what they believe. Um, as long as, as they continue to to educate themselves. What's been your message to your own daughters? Not the players on your team, but your very own daughters about living in this world with systemic racism? Well, you have to be careful. Um, you always have to, uh, unfortunately, watch your back um, and, and, and recognize the, the, the situations that you might be putting yourself in and where you're going and what's around you. You always have to scan the environment. And it's an unfortunate thing. Um, but it is, a, it, it is a reality and I have to do it on a day-to-day -day basis and, uh, and presenting myself in a way that uh, hopefully doesn't threaten other people. Uh, I am six foot four, I'm a black guy and uh, I have a presence. And so recognizing that, but also embracing it um, is important. And my, my daughters are tall as well and they have presence and they have, they have great communication skills, which I do think is uh, due to my wife. Um, but I think all those things are great and they can speak their opinions and they have an opinion and I think they can uh, express them in a clear and concise way. I think that's awesome as well. So, um, you know, but for me, for my daughters, I'm proud of them, but they have to always just recognize where they are.
and what's going on around them and making sure they don't put themselves in, in harm's way or put them in situations where they could be unsafe. With Eric Bell, top man, TCU women, 8-0-1 during this abbreviated fall season. One thing that I'm also learning is you spend time with Janet Rayfield and Mark Rikorian. You also have worked with U.S. soccer. You appreciate United Soccer Coaches. It looks like continued education has also been important to you over the years. Yeah, that's how I met Mark, to be fair. Well, we met at the um, uh, B license in Tampa. Shaka was there. Um, and there were a, a few other coaches that were there that our group got together in the next uh, winter and did the A license together. Um, and so it was a pretty cool deal to, you know, meet those guys at the B license and then come back the following year and do the A. So um, education is, is important. And, um, you know, I had a great deal of fun with those guys and meeting them. And now we still have a long-term relationships after that. All right, let's end it with this because I think it's important and I do appreciate you sharing your sentiments on as we you know continue to fight against racism. But at the end of the day, you're this six foot four man, doesn't matter what color your skin is, you've got a team that's eight oh and one. TCU can make some noise in the NCAA tournament in the spring if they do what, coach? Um, if we're consistent, right? I think that um if we are consistent with what we do and we approach it the right way, I think we can make a nice run into the NCAA tournament and put ourselves in a very good situation. So um, being consistent is going to be the most important thing. All right, man. When you go 8-0-1, you deserve to be on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. You deserve to be on our Thanksgiving edition. So glad that you follow up, Paul Caligiuri. It's an honor to finally meet you. I'm sorry that it took so long. Bad on me. Great interview. Great start to your season. Good luck when we resume. And happy Thanksgiving to you and your beautiful family. Thank you for having me. Nice to be on here. And hopefully we can be on here a lot more. Happy um, Thanksgiving to you. Yeah, same to you. Eric Bell, top man, TCU women, 8-0-1. This after a tie to Baylor that ran off eight straight. Hopefully they can keep it going when play resumes. We'll be back with more on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. United Soccer Coaches Advanced Diplomas have long been regarded as an excellent way to expand your coaching knowledge, advance your career, and improve your player's development. Now, with our blended format that incorporates online and in-person learning, coaches with ever-demanding schedules can earn their diploma in the most time-friendly way possible. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash advanced-diplomas for more information. Looking for ways to improve your training session? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for more than 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential to every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to elevate your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast Special Thanksgiving Edition. What a big time show. We kicked it off with Paul Caligiuri, who back in 1989 scored a goal that got the USA in the World Cup for the first time in 40 years. They're just celebrating the 30-year anniversary of that amazing goal at Trinidad and Tobago. We also spent time with Eric Bell, the nine-year head coach at TCU, who's got the Horn Frogs at 8-0-1. Now we're headed out to BYU to meet another member of our 30 under 30 class, Maddie Silloway-Gates. She started for Jennifer Rockwood. If you listen to this podcast, Jennifer's been on several times, one of my all-time favorite coaches, where right now Maddie is a volunteer assistant coach for BYU women, where she played, which is awesome. 
and she also coaches at Utah Celtic FC. And of course, she's a member of our 30 under 30 class. Let me start by saying, Maddie, we're thankful that you're a member and happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. Thanks. I'm glad to be on here. When you learned that you were a member of the 30 under 30 class, you've already done some amazing things. You continue to do some amazing things. But what did that mean to you? It, it meant a lot to me to be part of this class and to be able to come and learn from lots of great mentors. I was super excited when I found out. Let's talk about your path to BYU. I know you're now coaching at Utah Celtic FC. Where did you play before you decided to attend BYU? I played for LaRocca FC. And for you, was it automatic that if you got into BYU, if Jennifer said, hey, I want you, you were going there? Oh, yeah, for sure. It was a dream of mine since I was 11 years old. And so when, when Jen Rockwood came calling, I was, I was all ready to commit. I was super excited. Well, she's put some good teams together every year. In fact, teams that I feel like could challenge for a national championship. I know you played for some. You know that I'm the voice of the North Carolina Courage where we had Ashley Hatch at one point. I think you played two years with her. BYU women's soccer, Maddie, is legit. Spend a little bit of time talking about what makes that program so great. Well, I, I think there's lots to it, but like you've talked about Jen Rockwood, she's a great leader and has, has built that program from the bottom up. Um, and, and then you get a great culture of girls who come in and are just dedicated to be their very best. I think um, that's one thing that just has made the program really special. So you get the coaches, you get the players, and you, you get them in an environment where they can excel and succeed. And I think that's where um, a lot of the success has come from for that program. I'm glad you mentioned environment because make no mistake, I called one game where it was raining and that place was still packed. I mean, the fans love BYU women's soccer. They love it. Yeah, we have amazing fans. I think that's one thing when I was getting recruited, I went to one game down there and I was, I was sold. Like the environment, the energy from the fans that they bring. I mean, it's exciting. It's not every day in women's college soccer that you get 5,000 fans out to a game. So it, it's pretty fun. Now, how cool is it not too far down the road from Provo to have an MLS team and an NWSL team? How great is that? I, I think it's pretty cool. I think um, it, it provides a lot of excitement in terms of soccer in Utah. So, so yeah, it, it, it's amazing. Let's talk about great memories and mentors. Let's start with memories. So whether it was your time playing at youth soccer or whether it was your time at BYU, what was your greatest memory so far as a soccer player? Ooh, Dean, that, that's hard to narrow down. Um, I, I think there's so many great memories. I, I guess one of the most recent ones, my senior year playing at BYU, um, we were playing at our rival school at, at the University of Utah. Um, so it was a big, exciting game, lots of fans. Um, and I was playing against a lot of girls I grew up against. So it was a fun, friendly rivalry. And um, we ended up winning the game. At, at the very end of the game, I was able to score the, the last goal. And it, it was exciting. It was one of those like intense, um, fun games. And we, we put it away and got the win. So I think if I was to look back recently, I'd say that that was one, but it's hard to compile all of them. I think mostly I just remember the relationships and the people and the coaches who really um, had a big impact on me. Great answer all the way around, Maddie. You're just a young coach, but whether it's your time as a volunteer coach for BYU or your time at Utah Celtic FC, can you pick your greatest memory being a coach so far? Oh, wow. Um, um, 
I, I think a memory, if I were to narrow it down as, you know, as a coach recently is, um, I coach an 04 girls team and with the pandemic and everything, obviously it's been up and down and, and crazy. And this summer we were able to get the girls back out playing state cup. Um, and just to, you know, have the girls back out on the field, uh, able to have some normalcy was awesome. And they were able to win their third state cup in a row. And just to see the excitement um, for something the girls had worked so hard for uh, was, was awesome. So I think, I think that was great, but it's the little wins every day. Like the, the girl, the girl that's eight years old and sends you a picture of her kicking the soccer ball at home. And, and those little things I think are probably the, the little wins that make coaching so exciting for me. Oh, amen. That last ending answer gave me chills. How about mentors? Uh, whether it was somebody that coached you as a youngster, uh, I think you'll probably drop Jennifer in there. Who've been some key mentors in your life? Yeah, wow. I think I could drop a lot of names here. Um, Hobson Chavez coached me when I was 11, and he was a big, big person who pushed me to believe that I could even play college soccer. Um, and then Pancho Ovalle, he coaches at La Roca. He was a big, big part of my soccer career. Um, and then going into college, Jen Rockwood, Steve Magleby, and Brent Anderson, they're currently at BYU. They've been huge mentors for me. And um, Chris Watkins and Alicia Kramer Rose also coached me as well. And, and they were huge parts of my soccer success and my love for the game. Um, and then also as being a coach, Caitlin Young, she coaches with the Royals right now. I work with her at Celtic as well. And she's been a big mentor for me um, and, and someone that I really look up to as a female coach as well as Jen Rockwood. Um, so, so yeah, I've had lots of people who have been a huge part, I feel like, um, who've pushed me towards my success as a player and, and now my um, love and desire to coach. So lots of good people. I can't even think, I can't even begin to name all the people, but those are a few. Yeah, those are some great names. We're with Maddie Gates, a member of our 30 Under 30, part of my favorite part of the show, leading a new member of the 30 Under 30. We already talked about your excitement about being part of this 30 under 30 class. What was your inspiration to want to apply? Yeah, so I, I heard from a couple of coaches that I work with who said, hey, yeah, you should apply for this. You should apply for this. So I think I think that was the biggest thing that people in my life who I admire and respect had, had pushed me towards it. So that's, that's where it really started. Now, as you think about uh, the digital convention where we'll recognize you, I'm so excited to be a part of that. I wish we were in person where you would be up on the stage and we'd be able to recognize you, but they're going to take some time to recognize all the 30 under 30s at the digital convention. Maddie, that'll be pretty neat, right? Oh yeah. Super exciting. Now, as you think about BYU and pushing forward, hopefully we can get through this pandemic and get back out on the soccer field. It's going to be a condensed NCAA tournament, but uh, are you hopeful that uh, we can, you know, get back to the right path and, and BYU may get another NCAA tournament? Oh yeah, I'm I'm super hopeful for it. I think these to the youth level, to the college level, these kids need to be playing sports and it brings so many so many positive things into their life that they need. So I'm very hopeful we can get back to back on track with that. Finally, you're a sports family. Your husband's a baseball player. Did he play at BYU? Is that how you met? Yeah, yeah, he's a left-handed pitcher. He played at BYU as well. Okay, cool. Right now you said he's a free agent looking for a team, is that right or Yep. Yep. He's still training and working as a free agent to get signed. 
All right, now as you reflect on United Soccer Coaches, knowing that as a young coach, you always got to continue to learn, continue to get better. I'm sure Jennifer Rockwood probably preaches that as well. What does it mean to be a part of United Soccer Coaches? It, it means a lot to me to be a part of a community of coaches who are working to get better. And I think that's who I am and what I represent. And to be able to learn from people who have gone before me and had experiences, I think that that's really special to me. I'm a big proponent of home is where the heart is. So that might make this an easy answer for you. But if you listen to my interviews, I, I often ask the crystal ball question of where do you want to be in 10 years? I feel like you're pretty happy where you are. And maybe that is your answer. Have you thought about where you want to be in 10 years, what you want to be doing, Maddie? I obviously want to still be coaching. I, I love what I'm doing. I would love to continue to learn and develop in terms of my education with coaching. I think in 10 years, I hope I can say I've been a part of the coaching staff with BYU that's won a national championship. That would be a big goal. Um, but really in 10 years, I just love to continue and grow as a coach in person and help these young kids and youth soccer develop and, and achieve their goals as, as players and as people. I think that's a big Big goal of mine. And because I loved your answer, or at least uh, your kind of tag on saying your best moment is having that eight-year-old player that you coach, this young girl, just hitting the ball off the wall. What is your message to young girls, particularly during this very, very tough time as we deal with this pandemic and social injustice and everything else? What's your message to young girls to keep at it? I think my message to young girls would be would be to continue to believe in yourself. I think if I could go back as a player and amidst everything that's going on right now, I think this message is more important e even now is to believe in who you are and and to believe in your dreams and your goals and, and to set those high and to look at yourself every day in the mirror and say, I can do it. I love it. Maddie Gates, a great member of our 30 under 30 and a special member of our Thanksgiving edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Certainly thankful that you were able to join us. Congratulations on being a member of the 30 Under 30 class. Thanks, Dean. I really appreciate it. We come back, we do one more Big Ten and 10. This time it's Northwestern Women's Soccer. And this is the Thanksgiving edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. High school coaches are presented unique challenges both on and off the field of play. The United Soccer Coaches High School Diploma, now delivered in an all online format, supplies coaches with the knowledge needed to perform the distinctive role high school coaches play in the development of young players. This updated diploma takes a look at the ongoing duties of the high school coach and how to better prepare them for the responsibilities given to them in that position. For more information or to register, go to unitedsoccercoaches.org education. Welcome to Big Ten in 10, a 10-minute look at Big Ten women's soccer where we meet all 14 coaching staffs and a distinguished alumni from each team. In this case, not one, not two, but three superstars from Northwestern. I'm talking about Marissa Vigiano along with my Big Ten Network broadcast partners, Kayla Sharples and Hannah Davison and David Nikolic, the longtime associate head coach for the Northwestern Wildcats. Welcome to all of you. Great to be with you all. And David, come on, man. This is truly Northwestern royalty, these three right here. It is. You are right. You're looking at three of the best. You know, when we got, when we brought them in, um, I, we didn't expect that this would, would uh, be this way, but we knew we had three special people. And I think that um, they've shown 
um, through the way they played and the way they carried themselves all the way through their career, how great they've they've set this foundation for the new normal of what Northwestern women's soccer is. David, you and Michael have been coaching together now for around 27 years. Can you please describe? Yeah, 27 years. Yeah. yeah. Can you please describe the dynamic between the two of you? I think we work very well together. We've grown up together. We're from the same town in Wisconsin and in the suburb of Milwaukee. We have the same, a lot of the same ideas because of a lot of the people that we were taught by, although they might not have been the same coaches, uh, had a a similar philosophy. So as we grew up um, and our paths came back together after college, um, it was was pretty seamless in, in working together. And as, and, and when I say working together, you, you, the three of you know, it's working together. Um, I'm, Mike is very, is very cognizant not to make it that I'm working for him, even though I am working for him. He includes me in everything. Uh, he listens. Uh, he takes a lot of my ideas and, and points. Um, he doesn't have to use them all the time. Um, you know, I, I would have said that uh, Kiel or Hannah should have been shooting some more penalty kicks, but you know, that didn't. You know, when when Vigiano is scoring them all, we don't have to always. He doesn't have to listen to me. But um, but yeah, so I think I think that became uh, you know in terms of how we do the training and how we do um, our ideas for for recruiting and our ideas for uh, preparation for games. I think it's 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 nice when. He, he knows probably, he, we both know pretty much what each other's thinking. And Marissa, you had an incredible career, obviously, at Northwestern, ultimately leading to you being one of the first Northwestern players to get drafted alongside Kayla and I. But as your teammate of four years, we know that it didn't start out necessarily the way most people would believe. Can you walk us through what it was like to transition to the collegiate level and what advice you would give to your freshman self? Yeah, so, you know, transitioning to the collegiate level, it's, it can be a really scary, nerve-wracking time, and I did not come into um, the collegiate level prepared. Um, you know, I didn't do the best on my fitness test, um, didn't prepare, you know, the summer leading up to it um, as well as I should have, um, but I kind of took that, um, you know, I acknowledged it, um, and I just used it to work and get better, um, you know, for my teammates, for my coaches. And um, I think it's something that, um, you know, I pride myself on now, you know, my fitness, um, my work ethic. So I think, you know, looking back to my freshman year, I would just tell myself, you know, things are going to happen. Adversity is going to, you know, come. Um, But it's how you um, face it and how you use it to, you know, get better and grow. And David, since you and Michael took over the program, Northwestern has earned a great deal of respect, something that we talked a lot about while we were on the team of wanting to be the team that everybody feared. And I think you guys have proven yourselves to be a team that's not only dominant in the Big Ten, but can compete with any team in the NCAA. What does this growth and success mean for the program now and the new standard that's been set? The, the years that the four, the three of you were there, those four years uh, are mentioned a lot. Your names are brought up a lot, and the standards that you set. Um, and so those those things now it's a lot easier from when in you know, earlier in earlier times where you you start to look and see like you know where are we reaching? What are we going to? And and now the players coming in and now the players who are here look and say, it's been done at Northwestern. This these things can happen. We have to. Um, 
participate and, 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 and play at this level because it's been done before. And these people before us who we hear a lot about now, the Marissa's, the Kayla's, the Hannah's, the Nandi's, the Nikki Sebo's, those type of people, you know, they have expectations for us and we, we know we can do well here. So, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's a situation where we're, we're ready for any, any challenge that comes in front of us. And I think that you know, the three of you, um, help lay that, that groundwork, you know, and, and, and set that example that, that is now very well-defined and easy to follow. Marissa, I got three questions for you. So follow along. I know you can, because you went to Northwestern one, that viral goal last year that you scored for Orlando, amazing touch on that second adversity, Orlando not being allowed to go to the bubble because of the COVID. And then to me, I'm thinking you can shake off that adversity because in the second game, you see Hannah and Kayla pitch a shutout as the center backs for the Red Stars address all three of those. Okay, so first, my goal, um, it's funny because I joke about it a lot. I really didn't score a lot in college. I think I scored like five goals total and three of them were probably like penalty kicks. Um, so scoring a goal like that um, was, it's still hard to describe. Um, obviously my celebration, I really didn't know how to celebrate. Um, just so much, like so many emotions, um, you know, my passion for the game. Um, it was an incredible um, night because that was our World Cup welcoming um, home game for all of um, you know our players that were at the World Cup. So it was just a special moment, um, something that I'll remember for the rest of my life. Um, not being able to go to the Challenge Cup was definitely tough. Um, you know, we were working, you know, through all the preseasons, um, you know, and we were we were prepared and. Um, definitely tough but you know we it was the right decision um, we wanted to be there as you know as you know of course we wanted to compete but um, yeah it was tough but you know I'm really proud of how we all came together as a team and um, lastly Hannah and Kayla killing it in the challenge cup in that game I was so proud of them um, you know, it was so fun to see them out there together again, um, you know, just like old times and um, did such an incredible job, you know, really stepping up for for the Red Stars and, you know, with that shutout. So, so proud of them, so happy for them. It was fun to watch. Great answers. We wrap it up, David. You see these three here. There was a notion with Michael and you that you want Northwestern to be the Stanford of the Midwest. And obviously you're making that progress. But also when you think about Northwestern, you think about doctors and lawyers and everything else. Now you got these three professional soccer players at the highest level, adding another layer to what Northwestern brings. Quick soundbite on what that means. We talk about the options academically and athletically, the best uh, that Northwestern can, can provide. And these three show that you can do it athletically at the, at the highest level. And so that is one of the reasons why, you know, we always talk about them and, and their contributions, not only on the field, in the classroom, off the field as leaders with our team. It's, you know, they, they put the full package together, all three of them. You know, all three of them were just the full package. And, you know, we're so proud of what they've done and what they've become and where they're continuing to go. 
David, you've been a great advocate for the Big Ten Network. Thanks so much for all you do. So pleased that you could join. I feel like I need to bow down to this Northwestern royalty. Marissa, can't wait to see you back out on the field. And Hannah and Kayla, can't wait to see you in a Big Ten Network booth. That's Northwestern Big Ten Women's Soccer in 10. I want to thank Sean Chevrolet and Mike Knipper at United Soccer Coaches and want to wish each and every one of you, all of our great members of United Soccer Coaches, happy Thanksgiving. I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you next week. College coaches, make sure your program is registered for the 2020-21 College Services Program. While the 2020-21 season looks much different than any of us anticipated, we are committed to providing benefits for College Services members year-round. The College Services Program supports and promotes the college game, including rankings and awards for participating programs, regardless of when your season is played. For more information or to register your program, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org college. Thanks for listening to the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. To learn more, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org and teamsnap.com.